Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy, the podcast that empowers you to transform life's challenges into opportunities for personal growth and healthier relationships. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. As experienced therapists with backgrounds in addressing trauma and mental health disorders, we believe there is hope and there certainly is healing. We've spent our lives supporting people through the ups and downs, and we want to share these insights with you. Together, we'll unravel the layers of personal growth healing from trauma, and building healthy relationships. Each week, we'll bring you engaging conversations, expert insights, and practical strategies to help you heal from the past, foster healthy communication, and develop enduring love. This podcast is your guide to transforming adversity into triumph, healing wounds and past trauma, gaining wisdom and insight, and creating meaningful, fulfilling connections. So if you're here to heal, to better understand yourself or your relationships, you're in the right place. So sit back, get comfortable, bring your trauma and your drama, and let's start healing. Welcome Welcome to to Mr. and Mrs. Mrs. Therapy. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Today we're going to be continuing in a topic that we started in the last episode, and it is more of a sensitive topic. So if you have younger ears around, I would encourage you to just pause it and listen to this at a different time, maybe when they're not around. But before we jump into today's episode, if you find any of our podcasts helpful, we would love it if you would just forward that episode to a friend or share it with a loved one or with someone that you think could benefit from it. All right, let's jump into today's episode. So in the last episode, we talked about creating an atmosphere where we can have conversations regarding sex. And how having that foundation and safe atmosphere in your home and open communication is so beneficial for those hard conversations that you're going to have later. But today we're going to talk about 10 reasons why it's crucial for you to have this open communication with your kids about sex. So if you haven't already listened to the last episode, go ahead and listen to that and then jump over and listen to today's episode. And I just want to reiterate, in the last episode, we talked about how we're not looking for this one-time sex talk, right? Did your parents have the talk with you? What we really encourage you to do is have an open conversation and do it early and often with your children. And make sure that it's age-appropriate, but you're going to kind of continue this conversation and they're going to understand more and more as they get older and their questions are going to be different. But let's jump into those 10 reasons why it's important. So the first one is safety and consent. As we educate our children about sex, consent, boundaries, all of that protects them from abuse and exploitation. It really helps to empower them to understand their rights and recognize what is inappropriate behavior. And I know we had to share this before, but there's just a little song. And I think it's just called The Boundary Song, if you look it up. But it teaches the kids what boundaries are, and it gives them the specific words to say when someone's being inappropriate or they're not feeling comfortable, right? It just says, please stop. I don't like that. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I need more space. And then it goes on. It talks about different boundaries. Not around me. Don't take it personally. It's just a boundary. And the other day, I heard our little four-year-old telling one of our older kids that exact thing. I think they were just kind of in her space or doing something that she didn't like. You know, they were just playing and she didn't like it. So I heard her say, 
please stop. I don't like that. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I need more space. And she just said it just like that. And then the older sibling backed off. And so it's so funny because she's only four years old. And granted, she may not understand everything about boundaries, but she had specific words that she was able to say when she wasn't feeling comfortable or when someone else was doing something that she didn't like. Now, I haven't necessarily worked with a lot of children who've been molested, but I've worked with a lot of adults in the aftermath. And the damned really can stick with people throughout the rest of their life, especially if they don't do any work to assist with it. But one of the things that I think is so interesting when I hear their stories is that most of them were not in a situation where it was forced. Were they coerced? Did somebody like pressure them? Yes. But most of the time they don't say anything because they don't know what to say. They're confronted with this absolutely foreign experience where someone's pressuring sex or sex acts on them or pressuring them to do sex acts to the other person where they have no context, which with they understand, like, I can say no, I could say this isn't okay. And so a part of being able to help your kids understand about safety and consent is also about, like, knowing what's putting yourself in maybe not such a great situation, not such a safe situation, but also knowing that to that degree that they have the ability to tell people, no, I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. And it may seem or feel overly simplistic, but a lot of people, if they had been given permission from adults that they can say no about this kind of thing, would have been saved from situations where they were abused. Now, it's not going to save everybody. This isn't a magic bullet that would protect everybody, but a large percentage of people would be protected if they were given permission to have a voice to say no and then on top of that, have the ability to identify and say, ooh, that's a little bit of a weird scenario. I'm going to stay away from that. And we're not trying to blame the victims for not saying no, because it's definitely not their fault. It's definitely the perpetrator's fault of what they're doing. There still is that little bit of extra ammunition and barrier that you can give your child in order to protect them. Because, again, the thing is, if they've just never been in the scenario, it's hard for them to know how to react. And if you give them the tools they're more likely to be able to use them and then be protected. So number one is safety and consent, and then the next one is accurate information. Even though we've had discussions with our kids about sex and we've been teaching them about it, some information sticks while other information doesn't. I remember in particular we were having kind of the second round discussion, and I think it was a long time later. It was like six months or a year later from the original discussion. And so we were re-going through some of the information, and one of the kids piped up and said, oh, I know that. You do this. And then that's what happens is, oh, well, that was, that was close, but actually there's a little bit of a misunderstanding here. It's more like this. And so I was able to help correct some misunderstanding that they had had from our first discussion. And then information that they're going to get from the world outside of what we're teaching them that also gives us opportunities when they say, oh, I heard this, so-and-so told me that, or I saw this online, those kinds of things. And then it allows you to correct and help them to understand hey, that might not be so accurate because of this, or this is something else that you have to consider. Or they might hit you with some information where you're like, wow, man, I definitely didn't teach you that. But yeah, that's correct. That's true. Because I think a big thing about this is if you leave off talking to your kids about sex too long, they are definitely going to be hearing about this from their peers and from media. And then they're going to start crafting and creating their own narrative about it. But the thing is that oftentimes a person who gets the first say-so oftentimes will feel the most accurate or true to the child when they first hear it. And then what happens is whoever comes in second, third, or fourth, a lot of times what happens is they're automatically more resistant to that information if it disagrees with the primary source where they heard the information from. And so if you want to make sure that you're instilling 
your beliefs around sex to your children, you want to make sure that you're one of the first people who's talking to them about it. You're the first person who's educating them on that. And then that also means that you're likely to be the first person they turn to when they hear something that sounds different from what you have previously taught them. Right. And think about that. Do you want your children to learn about all of these sensitive topics from you or in the boys' bathroom at school? And that sounds kind of funny, but it's not just locker room talk. I've literally heard stories where boys will bring their phones into the locker room and they'll watch pornography together. And so if you don't want that to be the first place your kid is learning about sex, it's going to be coming into their realm. It's going to be coming into their purview. And I think especially in this day and age, with access to technology and kids getting it at a younger and younger age, the age that you need to talk to them is necessarily moving younger and younger because they are going to be exposed to it. And again, I don't think this is something that we're doing because, oh man, the world's doing this. I think it's something that we should have been doing, but now it's becoming more mandated. We have to do this earlier because if we don't, they're going to be exposed earlier and earlier. So we need to inoculate them to all this stuff by helping to educate them and making this a safe and comfortable place for your children to come and talk to you about sex. Right. And when we say sex, we don't just mean the act of sex. We mean learning about their bodies, the function of their bodies, the act of sex, pregnancy, procreation. All of those things are things that you want to have this open communication about. So when we talk about sex on here today, we're not just talking about the act of sex, but everything around human sexuality, body, all of that. The third reason why you want to have this conversation with your kids is a healthy attitude towards sexuality. And I know we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but open discussions really help in forming healthy, positive attitudes towards sex and sexuality. And it really helps to counteract the shame and stigma that might be associated with these topics and that, like Tim said, are coming at your kids anyway. And so the example that I gave in the last episode was a lot of times, especially for Christians, instead of teaching the full view that God created sex to be a beautiful thing within the context of marriage, a lot of times what happens is it's just this kind of bashing on sex. Don't have sex. You're going to get pregnant. You're going to get STDs. All these things are going to happen. And really, we turn this beautiful thing that God created into something scary or shameful. And it creates this dialogue within themselves that's very different than how God intended for us to see sex. And we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, and your own fear may get in there. But if you're trying to control your kids with fear, it's oftentimes a short-lived solution because when their friends start having sex and then they start hearing other perspectives and then all of a sudden, oh, my friend had sex and they didn't get an STD and die from that right away, right? Then all of a sudden, if you made this extreme statement to your children in order to try to keep them away from it, then all of a sudden everything you've told them gets put into question. Oh, they said it was so bad. They said you get pregnant every single time. They said you would get an STD your first time having sex if you're not married when you have sex. And so if you lie to your children about that, that's going to come out and then that's going to damage your credibility with them. And so you do want to be open and honest about both the goods and bads about sex. Because then when they hear from their friend, oh, it felt good, that was fun, and you've already told them that, then now their friend's experience is now giving what you told them earlier credibility. And so then they're more likely to believe you and then want more information from you because you gave them information that now they had, and then their friend had their experience and then told them, and it agreed with what you said. And so now they're like, oh, I have kind of inside knowledge. I can go to my parents and I can know about this stuff 
beforehand. So number four is preventing risky behaviors. The more knowledge that kids have about sex and about safety around sex, the more likely they are to be cautious and careful. And again, I mentioned this in the last episode, but if the kids have more of this open ability to talk to you about sex and it's not any type of shame or you're not making it awkward or uncomfortable for them in any way, that it actually tends to delay the first sexual contact by about four years where the child isn't trying to find out about sex through having sex. They're finding out about sex through talking to you and learning about it. And so then that kind of satiates their curiosity about it. And then they tend to wait longer for that. Now, if you share our views and you want your kids having sex and you want them to wait till they get married, it may feel uncomfortable to talk to them about safe sex practices because you don't want to feel like you're encouraging them to have sex outside of marriage. But again, this is still an important thing for them to understand. What is birth control? What are condoms? And again, this isn't necessarily the first foray in conversations you're having with your children, but this is as they're getting older. Now you're talking a little bit more about safe sex practices, still in the context of we want you to wait until you're married, but these are things that make sex safer. And so although trying to teach them to wait until they're married to have sex, there still is a possibility that they'll have it before. And so having them have that education about safe sex and contraceptions and those kinds of things is a helpful thing, even if it might make you feel uncomfortable. Right, because as much as we want our children to walk in this path and we trust God with them, they still have free will and they have the ability to choose. And this is all part of kind of that whole view of human sexuality and teaching them about it. Because like we said earlier, if you don't teach them about it, they're going to hear it from somewhere else. And so I would way rather be able to teach them and guide them through things rather than be silent on some things because I don't want them to use this and I'm fearful of it. And then my silence gives access to the voices around them to speak in and pour into their life where really it's my responsibility to. Number five is emotional preparedness. And this really is talking about sex and helping them understand that sex isn't just this physical act, but there's also intimacy and an emotional connection that happens. And I think this also ties in to what we were talking about with the way God designed it and the consequences that can happen if we do it in a different way. And I think a lot of people, they say, well, it's just sex. Well, it's not just sex. It does create an emotional bond for a lot of people. I think sometimes people don't create that emotional bond, but I think that comes from damage or that stems from damage. But I always like to tell my clients, especially when they're dating, like, hey, listen, a problem with having sex too early is it's going to make you feel more connected to this person than you should. And so if they're wrong for you, it's going to make it more difficult for you to call it quits. So that understanding that sex really does create this emotional bond to the other person. And if you're not ready for that emotional bond, then sex isn't something you really want to have on the table. It's something that is going to make your decision-making processes clouded and make it harder for you to make good, healthy decisions. And I think everybody listening to this podcast can look back and think about relationships that they've been in that they either shouldn't have been in or they should have gotten out much sooner. But their emotional bond to that person, whether you had sex or not, really made it hard for you to leave. And so if you didn't have sex and you had this deep emotional bond and it was hard to leave, it's just throwing extra fuel on the fire. It just injects more emotions into the situation and makes it harder for you to make a good, healthy decision for yourself when sex is involved. So as we have these conversations about sex, 
they really are opportunities to also discuss broader issues like love, respect, intimacy, emotional responsibility, and the emotional effects of sex. Number six is building trust. And I think we talked about this a lot in the last episode. But again, if you're telling your kids information and then they're hearing from their peers and it confirms things that you have already told them, they are going to trust you more. And then on top of that, if you're trusting them with deeper levels of information that other kids haven't heard about, that also makes them feel like, oh, man, my, my parents will really tell me the truth. And again, if you want to have influence in your children's lives, trust is of paramount importance. Number seven is body autonomy and self-worth. So as we're having discussions about topics like bodily changes that happen during puberty, it'll really help your child to understand and feel more comfortable with their body. Because going through all these changes are honestly strange for your children. And sometimes they can be scary. So if you can have this discussion with them before it happens, not waiting till it happens and your child is experiencing it and doesn't know what to do, right? So they're at school and maybe they are getting their first period and they feel confused and uncomfortable and scared. Instead, if you can teach them ahead of time what is coming and help them to get ready for these changes, it'll help them in this transition as they're experiencing so many different changes. And in the long run, It'll help them to be more confident about themselves and their bodies and ultimately have more self-worth and know that this is how God created them. This is all part of the process. Their creator knew all of this in advance and that there's nothing wrong with their body and that all these changes isn't something wrong that's happening, but it's exactly how they were designed. Number eight is debunking myths and stereotypes. So as you have these open conversations with your kids, they're going to tell you more their thoughts or things they've heard or their understanding of situations. And that gives you the ability to correct some inaccuracies or some things that are not so great that they've heard and then to help set them up to be going in the correct direction. But you don't have the ability to debunk their inaccurate beliefs if you never hear what their beliefs are surrounding it, if you're never having these conversations. So that's why having these conversations fairly regularly, again, not every single day, not even every single week, not necessarily even every month, but having them on a fairly regular basis where you just kind of poke at the subject a little bit or just ask them to kind of check in or talk to you a little bit about it, or you just telling them a little something about it, opens up the door and the opportunity for these conversations to happen. And again, the more safe you make them feel in these conversations, the more likely they are to just drop what they're thinking on you and just tell you what's happening. And then you have that inside line to be able to work with them and help them through it. And I do think that there are specific people out there that if they disagree with your specific beliefs, they are targeting and looking for your specific children to try to teach them what they think is correct and right and trying to shift your children's perspective. And so being aware of that and understanding that there is kind of this battle zone around sex. And if you are not paying attention or you're not aware of the fact that people are trying to convince kids one way or the other, then it can make you feel much more lax about the situation. Now, we don't want you to be fearful of it, but we want you to have a good understanding that if you want your kids to adopt what you believe is correct around sex, then you have to be the first person in there talking to them, making them feel comfortable about it, and then letting them tell you what they think about it. Oh, for sure. And it's a battle out there. It is a war for your children. And so 
it's so important that you don't tiptoe around the subject, but that you come at it with the strength and the confidence knowing that God has given you these children and it is your responsibility to walk them through this. Reason number nine that you want to have this conversation with your kids is to adapt to their developmental stages. So this is kind of what we talked about when we talked about body autonomy and self-worth. But as children grow, their understanding and curiosity about their own body and about sex changes. And so having these ongoing discussions really allow us as parents to be able to provide appropriate information at different developmental stages. And this is really what we addressed in the last episode where we talk about having this conversation early and often. That when we went through a book with our children, they were at that time probably six, four, two, and a newborn. And so we really weren't expecting the two-year-old or the baby to be in on this conversation. But at the age-appropriate level of the six and four-year-old, we had this conversation. And then we talked about it again later. And then I think the next year we read through the book again. And at that time, our children were seven, five, and three or something in that age range. And then we went through the book again. And now we're talking, you know, ages eight, six, and four. And so now the little two-year-old that had no information on it or we weren't really even having that conversation yet was four or five. And they're really now beginning to ask questions. And the one that was four was now six and he's asking a lot of other questions. And then we have our nine-year-old. And so as we went through and talked about this information, we presented the same information, but the discussion was so much different because of their developmental stages and their ages. And because we did it as a family, you know, we didn't just corner our nine-year-old and talk to her about it or talk to only our six-year-old about it. We included this discussion with the four-year-old at that time at what was appropriate at their level. So we talked about the different body parts and what they're named and reproduction and all that stuff, but they didn't really understand it. And as we continue to talk about it, the conversation changed and more of the kids got involved with it as they got to be at a certain age where they can now, you know, be involved in the discussion. And one of the things that I think is important about this is if you are not having this open conversation with the kids about this kind of stuff, you're not going to really know for sure what developmental stage they're at. And a lot of times they will just struggle through or try to figure it out on their own versus having you as their parent be able to guide them through that can make it so much easier for them to understand what should I do in this situation? How do I handle this? Or this is a normal feeling that I'm getting. And I think when they move to those next stages, I think sometimes because we don't talk about it a lot, it can make it feel shameful or wrong or bad. But you can use that as a point of being able to reinforce, hey, that's a sign you're turning into a little bit more of a man or, hey, that's a sign you're turning into a little bit more of a woman and then being able to reinforce that, hey, this is a good thing. This is something that's supposed to happen and it's not something that you should be embarrassed or shameful of, but it's something that's just you turning from a child more and more into an adult. Number 10, the last thing we want to talk about for this episode is about helping your children to develop critical thinking skills. And this is going to be especially important when we jump into the next episode, which is going to be about social media and being able to navigate that. But when you're talking to your kids about relationships and sex, and you're trying to help them understand the dynamics and people's desires and how people 
may not necessarily always be so upfront. This also helps them to stop and think about, okay, someone's telling me this, but then they may have some other or ulterior motive that maybe they're not willing to tell me outright. And whether this is just in normal dating relationships or they end up confronted with a child predator online or something along those lines, you definitely want them to be able to stop and think and understand what people's motivations are versus what are their goals and what are their values surrounding sex. So all of this kind of comes together when we are talking about the 10 reasons why it's important to talk to your kids about sex, because you're not going to always be there with them. And so you want them to be prepared. And that's why everything we talked about today and in the last episode, it really helps to equip them to get the right information, because then they're able to, like Tim said, make more informed decisions about their bodies, about relationships, and about sex. All right, guys, we hope that this episode helped to break some fear or worry about talking to your kids about sex and helped you to see what the benefits are of talking about it early and often. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode and found it helpful. If so, would you take 30 seconds and share it with a friend? Also, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It lights us up to know that this podcast is helping you. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group. Just click the link in the description below. Although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. If you are struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or feeling hopeless or suicidal, you are not alone help is available. Please seek professional help or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988. Thank you again for joining us on Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. Remember, there's always hope and there's always help.